Uh, the year, I, I guess, I was told, I believe, is 2004. And uh, I was the youth minister here at the church, and uh, Ted Sharp, he was one of our youth sponsors back in the day, and he and I, we went to every single football game. I mean, if it was a home game, we were there. A lot of times we had fifth quarters afterwards here at the church or at another church. And if it was an away game, we always took the van and took a whole, sometimes we took both vans, Ted, and they were full of kids and, and we used to go to the games. Uh, but we went to every single game and, and this is before the days of Illini West. This is when we still had a high school here in town. And this was in the days of La Harp West Prairie football, Cyclone football. And uh, they had a couple years where they kind of struggled, and this was one of those, those years. Um, There's a game against Camp Point. Now, I remember this story from way before, but what's even funnier now is that Zach, our worship minister, graduated from Camp Point. So he remembers this same play, this same game, and, uh, but he was on the other side of the ball. So he remembers this too, and we talked about it. Uh, but there was this, uh, this play that I don't think I will ever forget. And anybody that was there, I don't think they'll ever forget this. But uh, there was a, it was a running play, and it was to the outside. And it looked like the running back had some room, and he was going to have a good gain. And the best thing was the left tackle was over there, and he was blocking. And it looked like you know there's just one linebacker that was kind of close to make the tackle. And I can remember we were standing back, and it was like one of those slow-motion plays. And I, I can remember thinking, oh, my goodness. This blocker is going to kill this guy because our uh, left tackle, I think he was like 6'2", six t- uh, six like 250, something like that, big guy. And this linebacker was one of the smaller linebackers I had ever seen. He was like 5'2", I think a buck 40, something like that, and a pretty small guy. And I can remember thinking, oh my goodness, this kid is going to get killed. And uh, I was wrong. That linebacker got his helmet right underneath the other guy's face mask, and I mean, he laid him out. And he did, I don't think he knocked him out, but I can remember the, the left tackle, he got up, and uh, he was running uh, crooked. He was trying to run, but he was running sideways like he was dizzy. He had snot bubbles coming out of his nose. He, Coach Laffrey was screaming things that we shouldn't ever repeat here or anywhere else. It was It was brutal. But uh, sometimes we have a tendency to uh, judge by appearances, and when we do that, sometimes we're wrong. But as much as we know that, I think all of us in here, we know that, we've heard that probably our whole lives, that you can't judge by outward appearances, but as much as we talk about that, really, I mean, appearances are so important to our culture today, aren't they? People really care about what things look like, and I mean, I think we're all, we're all kind of wrapped up in this. You know, think about the, the money that we have wrapped up in our appearance and in uh, gym memberships or in, in our hair products or our clothes or our makeup, all those things, because we want to look good. Nothing wrong with that. Think about, uh, sometimes it's a little bit bigger than that. It's not just our, our bodies, but just the, the image that we portray to people around us. Sometimes we buy things to uh, present a certain image. You know, we want to drive a certain car. We want to have a certain, you know, size house that looks a certain way. We want people to have a certain impression of us. Dave Ramsey, he says this, we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. And sometimes that's the case. But we want to present this image of ourselves that maybe we're a little bit more than, than what we really are. 
I think social media has made it worse. I remember a song that came out. It's probably been a decade or so now, but uh, Brad Paisley had the song online, and uh, he talked about in that song, you know, I'm a lot cooler online. I drive a Maserati. I've got a black belt in karate. I mean, all these things that he just made up, you know, that weren't true, but that's what everybody thought about him, and that's what the internet has done. It's allowed us, it's allowed people to create an image of, of, of us that maybe isn't true, and I'm guilty of it sometimes. I always say, you know, just to give people a balanced idea of me and what I'm really like, I shouldn't just post the good things on Facebook. Like We post like cute pictures of our kids and like those awe moments, but I don't post like videos or pictures of me like losing my temper with my kids or my kids screaming at each other. And maybe we should post some of that too to give people an, the idea that. So don't ever get the impression that what you see on Facebook is all there is to me because there's, trust me, there's a lot of things that I, that I choose not to put on there. But we can portray these ideas, uh, the, these images about ourselves that, that may or may not truly rep- represent who we are. And as much as we say it's what's on the inside that matters, the truth is what's on the outside, I think, matters to a lot of us. Today we're going to talk about a young man named David, and he was judged by his outward appearances. And I think most people, you know, a lot of people are probably familiar with this story. You might have grown up with it, you know, the story of David and Goliath, and maybe you've even heard of that story even if you didn't grow up in church, you might know that one. But for me, I don't think you can talk about David without talking about Saul. Because the life of David and Saul, they're in contrast with one another. David was the king that preceded, excuse me, Saul was the king that preceded David. Tim was here last week. He was gracious enough to fill in for me. He talked about the life of Saul. But I think as we begin to talk about the life of David, you can't talk about David without talking about the life of Saul. Because these are two lives that are in contrast to one another. And I think that the truth that we see about this story is this. Never send a man to do a boy's job. See, God isn't concerned about looks. He's concerned with the heart. And that's what we see in the story of David. 1 Samuel 16.1. This is where the story begins. We'll just read one verse here for a minute, and we'll kind of keep going through the rest of these. 1 Samuel 16.1, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king of Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So just to give you a little review here in case you're just now joining us, uh, there was this period in the Israelite history where, you know, they they didn't have a king up to this point. They had left Egypt. And they were led by different leaders, like Moses was one of them, Joshua was another one, and they didn't have a king. And then after that, we read the book of Judges. Maybe you've heard about the book of the Judges, and that's what it's about. These, these men who weren't kings, men and women, they weren't kings, but they judged the Israelites for their behavior against God. And so Samuel was a prophet during the time of the Judges. And so by this time, he's, he's getting pretty old. But there comes a point where the people, God's people, they say, you know what? They look around and they say, everybody else has a king. Why don't we have a king? We want to be like everyone else. And so they say to Samuel, Samuel, talk to God. We want a king. So Samuel goes to God and says, this is what the people want. And and God says to him, you don't want a king. If you have a king, you're going to get taxed. Your young men are going to have to go off to war. You do not want a king. So he goes back and he tells them that. And they say, no, we want a king. Samuel goes back to God and tells him, he says, okay. Fine, have it your way. Sometimes God does that, doesn't he? Even though it might not be the best thing, when we insist on doing things, he gives us the freedom to make choices even when they're the wrong ones. So they say, we want a king. And so Saul was the first king over Israel. Tim talked about him last week, and and I don't know how much he shared with you, but Saul, he looked like a king. 
says that he was a head taller than everybody else. He stood above everyone. And we still to this day tend to associate size with strength, don't we? I mean, people that are tall or, or, or big, we just think that, you know, I, I wouldn't mess with that person. You know, we, we understand what this is about. So Saul, he is tall. You know, and, and just like in a fight, if we, were, if we were watching a fight, typically we would give the advantage to the bigger of the two opponents, typically speaking. Not only was he tall, but he was handsome. All the ladies wanted to be with him. All the guys wanted to be him. He was a good-looking guy. That's what the Bible tells us. But looks didn't get Saul very far. Eventually, God rejected him as king, and we'll talk about why here in a minute. And so he sends Samuel, this prophet, to go find a new king, to anoint a new king. They would pour Anointing means pouring oil. That's why he says, fill your horn and go uh, appoint a new king. They would fill up this horn with oil, and then they would pour oil over the head, and that would set that person apart. That was the imagery there. So Samuel goes to anoint a new king. We pick up the story in uh, chapter 16, verses 6 through 13. How about the verses are? Oh, there we go. Okay, they are. If you want to follow along in your Bible, please, uh, I always encourage people to bring your Bible with you. Another thing, before I forget... Somebody hold it up, the story, if you got it. Anybody got their story? Okay, there's one in the back. There's one right there. We are in, the, in this series called The Story. And what this is, is it's actually based on a book. And the book is excerpts from the Bible. It's not the whole Bible, okay? So you still need to, don't replace your Bible with this book. But this is called The Story. And what it is, is it takes kind of uh, the story and puts it into, into story format. The Bible puts it into story format. So anyways, we have these available for you. I think we're only down to one out there. But anyways, if you don't have one and you want to read along with this series, please do that. We'll start chapter 12 next week so you can catch up through there. And uh, anyways, it just kind of gives you a broad view of the Bible. We have one more out there, and if, they're, if we run out, we'll order some more. So please take one of those if you don't have one, just one per family. And uh, we want to make sure that you're reading along with us. So uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 13, this is what it says. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made, a, made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send to get him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And he sent, and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Do you have a life Bible verse? you have a Bible verse that just has stuck with you for a good portion of your life that kind of defines your life? I do. Mine is 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set the example in speech, life, love, faith, and purity. That's my verse for my life. The reason is I, um, I've always been pretty young in whatever ministry role I've been in. And I feel like that needs to be a verse that defines my life. That that, that, that needs to be something that describes me. That even though I might be young, I need to, to do my best to set the example for people. David, if he had a life verse, I think it would be verse 7 here. 
It says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's really David's life story. See, looks don't matter to God. God had already rejected Saul. Yeah, he looked like a king. He looked good, but he wasn't a good king, and God rejected him. Then God rejected all of, all of Jesse's sons, all of David's brothers. They weren't right to be king either. So seven of them passed by, and finally he anoints David. So Samuel makes his way to the house of Jesse, and uh, this is kind of a, a side note here, but speaking of appearances, I've always pictured Samuel, he's a prophet, and anytime I picture a prophet, I picture like a, like a kind of a tiny, like soft-spoken older man, and uh, by this time, Samuel, he was getting up there in years, I mean, he, was, he wasn't very young, but what caught my, caught my eyes I was reading this week is it says that as he went into Bethlehem, the elders of the city trembled as he walked in. And I thought, well, why, was he, why were they trembling? And I looked back and I realized the context of what happened. The reason why they were trembling is right before this happened, Samuel was the one that did what Saul wasn't man enough to do. God told Saul, I want you to defeat the Amalekites, and I want you to defeat the king, and I, want, I don't want you to leave any survivors. It's a hard thing for us to hear. And the reason was, anytime they did, it would further pervert their culture. They would be led astray by gods. And so Saul, instead of obeying God, instead he let the king Agag live. Saul comes in and he says, what have you done? Excuse me, Samuel comes in and says, Saul, what have you done? He, didn't, he wasn't faithful to what the Lord had said. And so it says that Samuel cut him down. So that's why uh, the people trembled as, as Samuel walked into the city. Uh, he was older by this time, but uh, apparently he wasn't one to mess around. So... In Old Testament times, the firstborn son was really important. They were typically like the heir to the family. And so as Samuel's standing there before all of Jesse's sons, he says, you know, surely this firstborn son, this has got to be the next king. He looked like a king. Apparently he was tall and strong. He looked, you know, maybe like Saul, looked like somebody that was a leader. But God said, no, I, I, he's not the one that I've chosen. And so before we even meet David we see that David isn't what people expect him to be. That people already underestimate him. He hasn't even entered the story yet. We haven't even uttered his name yet. And already Samuel, the prophet, underestimated him. He thought, surely it's not going to be the, the youngest son. He thought it would be the firstborn. Jesse, his own father, underestimated him. He didn't even bother to bring David to the house for Samuel to consider. He thought, surely it was going to be one of his older sons. And yet seven of his sons were passed over. Now, another thing about this is David at this time is young. They estimate he's probably 10 to 13 years old, somewhere in there. He was just a boy. And so not only was he not in the family position to be king, but he was young. He was probably little. It says that he was handsome and ruddy. That probably refers to his skin tone because he was always outside tending the sheep. But you see, God saw something that nobody else could. God looked inside David and he saw his heart and he knew that he was the next king of Israel. So already we see a big contrast between Saul and David. Not just their looks, but we, we read about another contrast. At the very end of that passage that I just read, we read that God's spirit rushed upon David. And one of the things that I don't like about, you know, when the Bible was originally written, there were no titles, there were no chapters, there were no verses, things like that. It was just a letter, a manuscript, whatever you want to call it. 
And so I think it's good so that we can find things that have chapters and verses. But one of the things that kind of throws us off is there are parts of the Bible that are connected that sometimes look disconnected because they're in a different chapter or in a different paragraph. And this is one of those things. We read that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, but I think it's in the next chapter, at least in the next paragraph, it says, And the Spirit left Saul. So we already have this big contrast between Saul and David, that God's presence is with David, but God's presence has left Saul. And we know now that Saul is being tormented by an evil spirit instead. That's another thing that we read. We didn't read it in these verses, but that happens later. And so even though David had become, he was anointed king, he didn't become king right away. Obviously, he's 10, 13 years old. It would take years, but God was preparing him to finally sit on the throne. But even at a young age, David has some qualities that Saul didn't have. He wasn't anointed king right away, but he had patience. He waited for God's timing. That was one of the things, one of the reasons why, why Saul was rejected as king is because there was this story where they were getting ready to go into battle. And God's instruction was for them to offer sacrifices before they went into battle. And Saul was not a priest. So he was waiting for Samuel, who was. And he was waiting and waiting, and he got tired, and he got impatient, and finally said, you know what, I'll just do it. And Saul, even though he wasn't a priest, acted as if he were. And right then Samuel walked up and said, what have you done? See, Saul got a little bit too arrogant. He thought that he could do whatever he wanted instead of obeying God. That was one of the reasons why Saul was rejected as king. He didn't have patience. He didn't wait for the Lord's timing. He just did whatever he wanted to do. That was something that distinguished David and Saul. And in kind of an awkward twist in the story over time, here David has been anointed king. And I guess we don't really know, did Saul know that he had been anointed king? I mean, was it, was it public? Did people know that David had been anointed or not? We don't know. But I always kind of wonder that. Did Saul know that David had been anointed to king? Because, I don't know. That's just, that would be, I would think that would really harm your relationship. But anyways, uh, in kind of this awkward twist, David eventually becomes Saul's armor bearer. Even though he's been anointed to be king and Saul's the king, David um, becomes his armor bearer. And so Saul, we know that because he was tormented by this evil spirit, um, that David would come in and he would play an instrument to calm him, a, a lyre, a harp, something like that. And uh, so they became close, and it says that Saul loved David, made him his armor bearer. But the limits of that love uh, would be tested. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, 4 through 11 is where the story picks up. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 through 11. There came out from the camp of Phil, of, excuse me, the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He held a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had a bron- he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spearhead weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for this battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. You ever make a bet that you thought you'd probably lose? No. 
I mean, if you're smart, you wouldn't do that. Why would anybody make a bet that they thought there was any chance that they would lose? Well, Goliath was making a bet, and he thought there was no chance that he was going to lose this fight. Now, the Philistines, they've been enemies of God's people for years, even going back to the time of the judges. Uh, you might remember the story of Samson, the strong man. And at the very end of his life, the, you know, the people that he was uh, warring against the whole time, they were the Philistines. The end of his life, he was in one of their temples, and he pushed on the pillars, and it fell on him, killing him and everyone inside. They were Philistines. So they've been fighting the Philistines for a long time. And so this Philistine makes a bet, and he knows he can't, he can't lose. Now, Goliath, we know that Saul was pretty tall. Goliath dwarfed even Saul. Now, by this time, Saul, it says he was advanced in, in years. Maybe that's why he didn't go out to fight Goliath himself. But here they're being challenged by this nine-foot-tall giant. And he's challenging God's people one-on-one. And the only problem is uh, there's nobody that can hold the candle to Goliath. There's nobody that can challenge Goliath. At the same time, Jesse sends David to the battlefield, not to fight. He's still just a boy, uh, 15 to 17, somewhere in that range. But he goes to the battlefield to give his brothers supplies. And as he's giving these supplies, he hears the arrogant giant taunting God's people And this is what he says. This is uh, 1 Samuel 17, 26. David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. He has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of its mouth. If it arose against me, I caught him by the beard, struck him, and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, for the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of, the, of this Philistine. Saul said to, to David, Go, the Lord be with you. In other words, good luck. <clears throat> so David is still just a boy, 15 to 17 years old, just a teenager. But he has more courage than anyone that's in the Israelite army, doesn't he? And that's another quality that sets David apart from Saul. You see... When Saul was presented as king, they couldn't find him. Samuel was looking for him, and they were, he was trying to kind of have this inauguration ceremony, and he could not find Saul. He ended up finding Saul because he was hiding. He was hiding in the baggage. He was that timid. But David was a man of courage. Once again, he's underestimated. His brother, we didn't read this part, but his brother scolds him. He says, what are you doing here? He said, you're just perverted. You just want to see the violence. Go back home. And then, uh, again, Saul points out his age and his inexperience. He says, you know, you're not even a mature, like, normal-sized person. Goliath is, he's been fighting wars since, you know, before you were, before, you know, your age. And so, once again, they only saw it was on the outside, but God had been preparing David for this moment. David had been a shepherd boy, but God was preparing him to shepherd the nation of Israel. And so Saul begrudgingly lets David go out to fight this Philistine. Now, one of the things that makes me scratch my head is, why did he do that? And we know what the wager is, don't we? Whoever loses has to serve the other people. So why is it that Saul let David go out there? I think that kind of speaks to Saul's character again. I I think that he just didn't want to deal with it. 
I don't think that he had the courage. I think he was timid, and he just thought, well, whatever happens, happens. And if, it, if somebody was willing to go out there and try it, he was willing to let them. But I don't think Saul was a man of courage. So David, he was so small, he couldn't even fit into the armor Saul gave him, so he went out there just with his sling and the clothes he had on his back, and that was it. And this is what happens, 1 Samuel 17, verses 43 through 49. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with sword and spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Goliath, only Saul was on the outside. He says, this stick of a boy is the best that you have to offer. But David, he didn't know this, but David was called the man after God's own heart. Now, we're actually talking about David for two weeks. That's kind of how important this story is. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the rest of David's life, and some of it's not so glamorous. And if you know the story of David, you already know that, that for him to have that title, the man after God's own heart, is kind of peculiar, considering some of the things that he was guilty of later in life. If you don't know the rest of David's story, you'll be surprised next week when you hear about it. But you see, he was called the man after God's own heart. And God had rejected Saul, and he accepted David. But what is it that made the difference, especially if both of them made mistakes? What was it that set David apart from Saul? Well, we kind of see it here in this story. David didn't fight Goliath to show off. He didn't fight Goliath so he could take his place as king. That still didn't happen for years. The reason why he chose to go out and fight Goliath is because he was zealous for the name of God. He was offended that Goliath had spoke that way, had had spoken that way about his God and about his people, and he wasn't going to stand for it. And he knew he couldn't lose because the Lord was with him. And I think verse 47 kind of gives us his motivation. It says, um, actually, verse 46 says, uh, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's why he did it. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He wanted everybody to know that there was a one true God. You see, I think the thing that sets David apart from other people is, you know, we've been talking about in this sermon series, the upper story versus the lower story. There's the lower story, and that's you and I and our life right here on earth right now. That's the lower story. But sometimes we forget there's an upper story. There's what God is doing in all of humanity. And sometimes when we look at things from the lower story, we think, man, this doesn't make much sense. But if we trust God and in his plan, I think eventually it will. And it's like this. Some of the stuff we read here, we're reading about killing people and wiping people out. And it's kind of hard for us to hear, isn't it? Well, that doesn't seem very consistent with what we read in the New Testament. But then we understand what God is doing. This is just one part of the story. It, David wants everybody to know that there is a one true God. 
And so David, I think that's what sets him apart, is that he always had the upper story in mind. He was always more concerned about what God was doing than what he wanted to do or what he thought should happen. And so David ended up winning this battle. With a single blow from a sling, he knocked Goliath unconscious, and he took his own sword and brought his head back to Saul. David saved the kingdom. But Saul's appreciation didn't last very long. As a matter of fact, when they came back from this battle, the the ladies, they had a song that they wrote. And I, I can't remember the exact math. I can't remember the numbers. Forgive me. But it was something like, you know, Saul has killed hundreds and David has killed thousands. Or Saul has killed thousands and David 10,000. Something like that. And Saul couldn't stand that. Saul didn't like that. He saw his kingdom slipping through his fingers. And he didn't like that. So he tried to kill David with a spear twice. When that didn't work, he thought, I'll promote him. I'll give him a job. He made him a commander in his army, put him in an impossible battle situation. And David won. So then he just flat out tried to kill him, pursued him, chased him for years. David lived in hiding. That's where, you know, the book of Psalms, a lot of those Psalms were written by David. And a lot of those Psalms were written while he was running from Saul. But here we learn another distinction between Saul and David, and that is that Saul had no regard for human life, and David did. Saul tried to kill him with a spear. He killed 85 priests when he was chasing David because they had aided and abetted David, so that he killed them all. He would stop at nothing to kill him, but David twice was given a direct opportunity to kill Saul, and he spared him. He said, no, I cannot kill the Lord's anointed. One story was uh, Saul was in the cave, and he got close enough that he cut off a a corner of his robe. And once he got some distance between him and Saul, he called out to him, and he held it up, and he said, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul says, okay, I give up. I'm not going to chase you anymore. He changes his mind and keeps chasing him. It happens again, and he says, okay, I'll never do it again. And again, he, he chases him. But eventually, Saul died. And he dies in kind of sad fashion. It was a battle, and he was wounded, and he ended up taking his own life. He fell on his own sword. Eventually, David took the throne from Saul's son, and he did all the things that Saul couldn't do. He defeated the Philistines. He defeated the Jebusites and took control of Jerusalem. So what we find in the story of David is never send a man to do a boy's job. That God isn't concerned with looks, he's concerned about the heart. So I was thinking this week, and this is a pretty common story, a story a lot of people know, and I thought, you know, what does this have to do with us here and now today? And I thought, you know, for so many, we are obsessed with outward appearances. And sometimes material things are the main pursuit behind why we do the things that we do. And there's nothing wrong with success, and there's nothing wrong with wanting with, with wealth or anything like that. But you see what David, you know, David, he had success, and he had wealth, he had all these things, but he pursued God's kingdom first. That's what set David apart, and that should be true of us as well. There's nothing wrong with having things and being successful, but we need to be more concerned about God's kingdom before our own. If we seek his kingdom first, he'll give us everything that we need. But what this really got me thinking about this week, because of that whole play on words, you know, never send a man to do a boy's job, I thought, you know, what does it mean to be a man? I mean, Saul was a man's man, wasn't he? I mean, stood tall, and everybody, you know, he was, you know, sometimes brave, and I mean, everybody looked to him as king, but yet God rejected him and instead chose David, this boy. And I thought, what does it mean to be a man? What made David, I mean, because that's really what it is, this whole don't send a man to do a boy's job, it's really just a play on words. 
David became a man, and he was a great man of God. And what set him apart was, from Saul was his relationship with God. And so here's my concern. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of men out there, that are acting more like Saul. And what I mean is they're worried about their own kingdoms. And they're worried about, you know, they're trying to man up, and they're trying to provide for their families, and they're trying to be good fathers, and they're trying to be available and and provide and do all those things. They're very concerned with being a man, but I'm telling you, you can do all these things on the outside to make yourself, I guess that's the world's definition of what a man is. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those things for providing and being strong and protecting our families. That's important. We need to be doing those things. But the most important thing is what sets David apart. David had a real relationship with God. That's what made him a man, a man that Saul could never be, is he had a relationship with God, that he was the spiritual leader of his home. And I guess what's very sad to me is I think it's very hard that there's so many men out there that act like spiritual boys or infants. You might be a man's man, and you might hunt and fish and do all, you know, and be a great provider and do all this great stuff, and that's all, that's all wonderful, that's all good, keep doing those things. But man, don't ignore the most important responsibility you have as a father, as a husband, to be the spiritual leader of your home. But I think there's too many men out there, and and really what it boils down to is they're too scared to be spiritual leaders in their home. To set the example by reading their Bible or or praying with their their kids and their wives, they let their wives be the driving force behind their spiritual commitment. And maybe you're kind of getting uncomfortable. You're like, okay, <laughs> maybe your wife's nudging you, um, or maybe she's holding it back. Um, my point is this. Maybe you're kind of feeling like, okay, that sounds a little bit like me. Maybe, you're, maybe my wife talked to you ahead of time. And I promise no wives did, but what I'm saying is uh, if, if that touches a nerve with you, chances are that's probably something that needs to change. And I'm not one of those preachers, I think, especially if you're new here, you might not know this. I'm not one of those. We don't heap on guilt here. We just tell you what the truth is, I hope, and we do our best to do that, and what you do with it is up to you. I'm just telling you what I think the Bible shows us, that what made David a man of God was this relationship that he had with God. Man, I hope that defines us too. So if you walked in these doors today and you realize, you know, I have not been the spiritual leader of my home, I want to say it's okay. I'm not saying it's okay to leave this place like that. I'm saying let that go, let the past go. But decide today to change. Go home and thank your wife for picking up the slack for you and commit to never letting it happen again. Ask questions of godly men about what it means to lead a family and to be a man of God in your family. But that's what sets men apart from boys, a commitment to the one true God. That's what really made David not a boy, but what made him a man. Another thing, one last point here, is that you can't fool God. We're talking about outward appearances, and sometimes we try to clean things up, we, especially when we come into church, we put our church face on. Maybe we were screaming at each other on the way to church, or we were smacking the kids in the back seat, or whatever. I don't know. But we come into church, and all of a sudden we have our church face on, and we try to present this image that we are something, and, and maybe that's not who we are. So what I want to say is, is that God knows the heart. He, seals, he sees the real you. David, he wasn't perfect. But he was always pursuing God. Saul was concerned with his own kingdom. David was concerned about the kingdom of God. So as you look at, at your life, your heart, and those things that nobody else can see, whose kingdom are you really building? Are you like Saul, worried about your own kingdom? 
Are you like David, worried about the kingdom of God? What's most important to you? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day you've given us today. We thank you that we have the chance to gather together and to be in your house and to be with other believers. And Lord, that we have truth. We know that we live in a world where... Um, tends to say there is no absolute truth. You just do whatever works for you. And Lord, we believe in in absolute truth. And Lord, I I thank you that you give us that truth in your word. And I pray, Lord, that we will be steadfast in that, that we will get into the word, that we will listen to what it says, and that we will apply what it says to our lives. Lord, as we consider the, the story of David, I pray that the things that define David's life are things that will define our lives as well courage and and bravery and commitment and faithfulness and and it all boils down lord to a, a firm belief in you a real relationship with you and i pray that that describes all of us in this room that we will pursue you like david did that we will want to know you through your word and through prayer and through other believers through through being here at places like this lord it's your name i pray amen I don't know what giants you're up against this week. Um, I was thinking, you know, you might have uh, something you're facing. Maybe you can relate to David. You've got a job you hate or you've uh, got grief that you just can't seem to process. Or maybe you've got an unappreciative or a disrespectful spouse or rebellious kids. Or maybe you worry about things. You know, is my body going to keep up, hold up to the amount of work that I need to accomplish? Things like that. There's all kinds of worries that we come up against. And I was thinking this week about sometimes, you know, we... um, you know, David, he didn't look at the size of Goliath. He didn't even consider it. He could have been 20 feet tall. He could have been 10 inches tall. It didn't matter to David. It wasn't the size of the giant that mattered anything to David. He wasn't worried about the size of Goliath. He, was, he knew the size of his God as much as anybody could. He wasn't, he wasn't just trying to work hard enough to overcome this giant. Instead, he trusted in God who he knew was bigger than the giant. So what I'm saying is this, that sometimes as we come up against obstacles and against challenges in our life, we're, we're tempted to, oh, man, I, I've got this huge thing and I've got to figure out a way to overcome it. My encouragement to you is don't look at the size of the giant, look at the size of God this week. And one last reminder as we wrap up is we're talking about the lower story and the upper story. Let's not forget that David... God had made a promise to David that his throne would last forever. Eventually, that promise was fulfilled through Jesus. You see, David points the way, paves the way for Jesus. And I will let you know that the God that David served is the same God that we serve, but now we know Jesus. David didn't know about Jesus, and we do. And what his son did on the cross for us. So I want to encourage you, let's stand together. As we wrap up today is to remember God's story throughout humanity. We, we read about all this blood and violence and killing, and we think, why? why did it have to be this way? And I don't have an answer for that. But I do know this, that Jesus' blood covers us all. That everything that happened in the Old Testament, all the blood and the gore and the things that are hard for us to understand, eventually point the way to Jesus, a way out from our sin. Let's think about that as we sing this song of invitation today.